Heavenly Father, you truly are a good God who gives us good gifts, who provides for us, and who blesses us. We ask now that as you bless us with the reading of your word, that you would teach us that which we need to learn. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to begin by asking a simple question. Do you feel like you're flourishing yet? Is your life flourishing? And I think when we ask that question, most of the time we would say, oh, probably not. But we've spent the last two months or so going through this sermon series called Created to Flourish. And in reality, you were created to flourish. And if you, did, you weren't here for all six of these sermons, because this is the sixth one, I invite you to go onto our website and look at all of the other sermons or listen on our podcast. And really, it's been this message of six messages, six teachings of telling us from Scripture that God created you to flourish. We preach and we believe that one day we will be in all eternity with God. We believe that the earth will be made new and God will make his home here with us and we will live for all eternity and eternal bliss. And we long for the day when that will happen. But we don't have to wait until then to begin to experience a life that flourishes. You see, so many times people of faith, we hear things that we are so heavenly minded that we are no what? What's the the second part of that? No earthly good. Or so many times as Christians, we, we, we live these lives of almost near misery and because we say, like, we can't enjoy any part of our life because if we enjoy any part of this life, then it means that we don't want to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. We, we hear that. But if that were true, then you would, have been, you would have been created an angel where you only had soul but no body and you were in the presence of God for all eternity. But God didn't create you an angel God also didn't create you just an animal without a soul. But God created each one of you with spirit and body to embody a specific place and time in human history. And we find in the scriptures that God created you to flourish. But so many times we give our heart, our mind, and our soul to things that rob us of the things that help us to flourish. So many times we give our thoughts, our minds, our values, our desires, our passions to things that promise to bring us happiness, that promise to bring us joy, and in the process what we end up finding is that we instead become enslaved to something that is less than God. And so I ask a second question. Have you considered what it is? Have you considered how it is with your soul lately? In those moments when you're frustrated, in those moments when you're angry, in those moments when you're sad, even in the moments of extreme joy and happiness, have you stopped to think, how is it with my soul? Because when you stop to ask what it is, how it is with your soul, what you're really asking is the deeper question is, how am I connecting and being connected to the giver and the source of life? And so in this final teaching, I want to just look at this passage from John chapter 8. And I want to go ahead and read it once again. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, 
and the truth will make you free. And these people who believed, air quotes in Jesus, they answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying that you will be made free? Which, can I just tell you a sermon for a completely another day? But like, these are the people, the descendants of the Jewish people, descendants of the Israelites who were enslaved where? It's funny how we only get to, we have a selective memory. And Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son Jesus makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, when we come to this, we ask the question, well, what does it mean to continue in Jesus' word. I mean, I think that if I were to ask this question, how many of you want to be free? The answer for most of us would be like, we all want to be free. I mean, we're Americans. We're the USA. Like, you know that, that song, you know, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm, you know what I always say to that? And I think it <laughs> annoys people. I say, where at least I'm kind of free. But we want freedom. We say it's in our blood and it's in our veins and it's in our bones and we want to be free. And we don't like when things kind of come over us and oppress us. We don't like when people tell us what to do. We don't like when people give us rules and regulations at my preaching. We don't like being told what to do. And so we want freedom. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have freedom. I have come to set you free. And the question is, Set us free from what? And I think on the most basic level of what Jesus comes to set us free from is the power of sin in our lives. And we don't like to talk about sin, but it's just a part of who we are. And at its most basic level, Jesus comes to set us free from the stronghold of sin. Jesus comes because he knows that as long as we continue to sin, to fail, to miss the mark. You know, the word sin in the Greek, hamartia, is just missing the mark. We make it this big thing like, oh man, like, you're going to hell. But the Greek word is just you're missing the mark. If the mark is to keep your eyes on Christ, and if the mark is for you to be oriented by the life and teachings of Jesus, to live outside of those teachings would be to miss the mark. So anytime that you live selfishly, anytime that you act out in anger, anytime that you have malice or greed, anytime that you have bad thoughts about someone, anytime that you have lustful thoughts, anytime that you do something that Jesus wouldn't do, you are missing the mark. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free from the power of sin in your life. He says, if you sin, you become a slave to sin. And Jesus comes and gives us that freedom. So on a very basic level, Jesus says, I've come so that I could redirect your aim and you can always hit the mark. If you've ever gone um, bow and arrow shooting, I've, I've done it once and I wasn't very good at it. And I decided that I, want, I didn't want to invest the time to be good at it. It was at Pine Springs Ranch summer camp last year. Kara and I, my wife, had a competition. I'm pretty sure that I won. No, she won. Yeah. 
But here's what happens. These counselors that are like kids, like I know I'm not that old, but they're kids. They come and they say, here's what you have to do. You have to do this. You have to hold it like this. You have to look here. You have to do that. You have to pull it back this far. And then when you let it go, then it's going to hit the mark. And, and I did better with their guidance. You see, the life of faith is like you trying to be an archer in how you live your life. And Jesus is the one that comes alongside you and says, let me show you how to pull back that arrow and how to aim the projection of your life. Jesus says, I've come to set you free. I've come to set you free over the stronghold of sin in your life. You know, sin is any time that we live outside of the harmony and the will and the ways and the teachings of Jesus. From the beginning of Scripture until the very end of Scripture, the Bible uses the metaphor of endurance. The Bible uses this metaphor of this marathon runner who says you must, be, you must commit and endure to the very end. See, faith is not a sprint. Faith is a life of endurance like a marathon runner that even when you get to mile 21 and you want to rip everything off of your skin so that you're as light as possible, Jesus can come alongside you and says, right, let me show you how to run this race. Jesus sets us free at a most basic level from the power of sin over your life. But Jesus also sets you free from the consequence, the eternal consequence of sin in your life. I mean, we're all sinners, and the reality is, is that we're all going to continue to sin until the very day that we see Jesus again. The hope is that we would sin a lot less. The hope is that our sins would be less egregious. The hope is that as the work of the Holy Spirit works in our lives, that we would continue to be more and more like Jesus. But Jesus comes to set you free from having to suffer the eternal punishment of sin. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the eternal punishment of sin is for a lot of people, they believe that the eternal punishment of sin is this eternally burning hell. And there's like a couple Bible verses in the Bible that say something like that. So like I understand where they're, you know, I see the Bible verses. But I don't think that's consistent with the character of God that we see from Genesis to Revelation. And I think that the even greater fear it's not that, not that you would be kept, and here's why that doesn't make sense. Like, eternal life is for those who are in the presence of God. So, like, if, anyway, that, that's, let me just, whatever. I'll, that's, a, that's a Sabbath school lesson next quarter. I don't know. <laughs> but I think the real fear is not that you would burn forever, is that you would cease to exist for the rest of eternity. We have a hard enough time thinking about dying in this world, but the punishment of sin is that you would be eternally extinct and extinguished and no one would ever not only remember you, but you would no longer have access to the presence of God. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free from the anxiety of the fear that you might not live in eternal bliss in my presence. But there's so much more. Jesus comes to set us free from the anger that we feel in our lives. Jesus comes to set, like, like we need to be set free from fear we need to be set free from legalism. We need to be set free from trying to earn our salvation by just being good enough. We need to be set free from the heaviness and the oppression of what people tell us that we have to do. We, Jesus has come to set us free from all of the negative things in our lives because Jesus knows that he created you in his image and he wants you to live a life that flourishes and he wants your soul to feel joy and experience happiness because he wants you to experience his presence. 
And just like Moses going up on the mountain and coming down and it says that his face radiates, God wants you to experience the same radiating joy that the prophets of old experienced by being in his presence. So Jesus comes to set us free from all the negative things in our lives. You know, Jesus comes not only to set us free, but also to give you freedom. Jesus gives you the freedom to make decisions in your life. You see, God doesn't create us as robots to make decisions that he programmed into us, but true love gives people freedom to make decisions. And so often in our lives, like Jesus gives you this freedom, but a lot of times what happens is that in your freedom, you can choose one of two things every single time. On the one hand, in your freedom, you can choose things that might seem good in the moment, but will ultimately lead you back into slavery. Now, I'm not just talking about sinful things. Sometimes the mindsets that we give ourselves to actually lead us into a slavery kind of life. Or the other option is that in your freedom, you can choose things that will lead you to more freedom. Now, a lot of times we... uh, I've said this before, and if you're a guest, this will be the first time you hear this, but I say this often, that following the way of Jesus is not always easy. In fact, oftentimes, it's really hard to follow the way of Jesus, but it's not heavy. See, the difference between hard and heavy is heavy is that something is oppressive and forces you to do something. Hard is just something that requires a little extra help for you to get it done. The, way, the reason that sometimes following the way of Jesus is hard is because it's really hard to forgive that person that really hurt us. It's really hard to be nice to the person that really makes us mad. Or I should say, the person that we give power to allow them to make us mad. Because no one can make you mad. You know, sometimes we need to be set free from these ruts and these decisions that we make in our lives that instead of leading us to more freedom... Instead of leading us to a life that is more connected to Christ, a life that is more connected to God, a life that flourishes and a soul that is full, flowing with what the Bible says, the rivers of of living water, which is the Spirit of God. Instead of choosing those things that sometimes seem a little bit harder, we choose the things that seem easier, but ultimately lead us back into slavery. You know, Jesus uses these words to these Jewish people in the first century because the central story of their faith is that their ancestors, even though they failed to realize it in the moment, their ancestors had been slaves in Egypt thousands of years earlier. And the Bible tells us that God hears the cry of the oppressed and he rescues them. God hears the cry and he rescues them. And Jesus is the God in the flesh who hears the cry of his people and he comes into earth, but he is now not liberating, from, not liberating them from some foreign oppressive power, but Jesus is now liberating from the oppression that sin has in our lives. Sin is destructive and these negative things that happen in our lives, if we allow them to fester, they will destroy the things in our lives. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free from all that steals life away from you. And Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. 
Now, as humans, we have this kind of desire to want to, like, say, oh, the truth is this Bible verse, this Bible verse, or this doctrine, and this doctrine, and the truth, truth, the real truth, if you want the real truth, it's right here in this book, and it says all these things. Like, that's what we do as humans. Like, we think that true life transformations only happens when we have information, like our mental and intellectual thing. But you see, Jesus, and especially in the book of John, when John writes, it's a play on words. So when Jesus says, if you, will, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, the question is, well, what is truth? You know, I think that today in the year 2019, it really mimics a lot of the time when Jesus was alive. You know, we seem to think, well, we live in a post-truth world, but there was post-truth world there. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, what does the Bible tell us? I have it here. When Jesus had been arrested and he was standing before Pilate, this was the night that Jesus was arrested, if you don't know the whole story. Jesus was arrested and he comes before the, this Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers, will you say I'm a king? For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asked him, well, what is truth? I mean, we live in a world where we don't really know what's true anymore. And let me give you an example. I do this all the time. <laughs> I'll, talk to, I'll be talking to Kara, and I'll say, hey, Kara, like, I read this thing the other day. And, I, and what do I say? If it's true, I have to preface things. You have to preface everything now because you don't know what's true. You don't know if that link that you see on Facebook is going to lead you to something that's true or not true. And, like, and so we always begin by saying, well, I saw this thing, and if it's true, because truth is like, has suffered a death blow because we don't know what's true sometimes. There are entire websites dedicated to trying to like bust myths, like get behind them as television shows, myth busters, right? Like there's these websites and shows and everything around us that are saying like, hey, we can help you to learn more about this thing that you're looking at and we will tell you what the real truth is. You see, so our day mimics the day of Jesus and Pilate stands before him and he says, what is truth? When Jesus has been saying, I have come to show you the truth and to lead you to the truth and this truth, Jesus says, will make you free. So let me give you the answer to this. When Jesus tells these disciples, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciple, you will be my follower, and the tr you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is truth? It's more than that. You see, we, we tend to say that truth is the Bible. And on, and on one level, it's true. But hear me say this. In the Bible, the Bible points to only one person as the truth. Who is that? That's Jesus. So why do we preach about Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one that can lead us to life, not only life eternal, but life abundant and a life that flourishes in this place and in this time because God has invited every one of us to participate in his church so that we could be his messengers in a world that desperately seeks something that is real something that is true, something that is meaningful and purposeful. And Jesus has called the church, the believers in Christ, to be his message. But we cannot give witness to this message if you don't know for yourself that the truth is Jesus 
Christ. So why is it so important for us to listen to this message? Because the only way that you live a life that flourishes is if you live a life that is eternally and daily and constantly connected to the only one who can give you truth and life everlasting. It's Jesus. That's why Jesus spends three and a half years, like the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. Think about this. He spends teaching people how to live, not only as his disciples, but to connect with him and to abide in him so that the Father can abide in them. If I had three and a half years to live, I would like to think that I would still come and preach weekly. But if I only have three and a half years to live, if I get fired, what are you going to do? Maybe I wouldn't pay my bills. I, like, obviously, I'm being sarcastic. But there's a lot of things that wouldn't matter to me if I had three and a half years to live. I would probably just spend it with uh, my wife, my family, you know, the people that are important to me and doing the most fun things I get, I guess. I don't know. Because if all I could think about is that I only have three and a half years to live, all I could think about is that the end is coming and it's coming soon. Jesus knew that he only had three and a half years to live, which I think comes out to 40 months and 1,260 days for those Bible prophecy people. He knew he only had three and a half years to live. And he spends those last three and a half years teaching people how to hit the mark of life. He teaches people what it means to live a life that is so eternally connected to him that they would not only know the truth and be connected to the truth, but that they would be freed from the power of sin over their lives. You know, I think the only way for us to get over the sins in our lives, those things that control us, those things that lead us back into slavery, is not just by will, by the sheer force of willpower and say, well, I'm just going to stop doing this, or I'm going to stop doing that, or I'm going to stop saying that, because that doesn't work. We've tried it. You know the sin in your life that you've been trying to kick for the last year, four years, 10 years, 15 years. You know what you're trying to kick. And you know how hard you've tried, and you know the boundaries that you have set, and you know that it has been a difficult road. So if you're just trying to get rid of sin by the sheer force of your willpower, and some of you are better than this than others of us, but for the most part, you're not going to win that battle. But you know how you do win that battle? is by filling yourself with things that are good, honorable, pure, joyful, truthful, and the things that are of God. Have you ever, if you've ever filled up a water bottle, this analogy may break down, but I'm going to try it anyway. If you've ever had one of those big water bottles, and like one of the first things they tell you to do is you have to wash it out. Do you guys wash them out? Like when you buy, see, I... Like, I'm a germaphobe, but that's like the most frustrating thing because it's like a big bottle. You have to fill it up with water, and you want to use soap. And you guys know how frustrating and annoying it is to, like, get soap out of a big bottle, right? Cause like, and then how much, yeah, right? It's frustrating. I hate doing that. For analogy's sake, let's say that the soap in the bottle is the sin in your life. When you fill it up with enough clean water, eventually what happens the soap finally disappears. 
You see, you can't just get the soap out by yourself. You can't really use anything to get the soap out fully. You still need that water. And so I would say that this metaphor is that the water in our lives is the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. It's the Father that we have to fill ourselves with to such a degree that there is no more place for the sinful strongholds in our life to pull us back into slavery. Some of you may have more willpower than than others, but the reality is, is you can only truly, truly, truly have freedom from those things if you fill yourself with the truth, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to give us life and life more abundantly. And sometimes it's hard to follow the way of Jesus, but Jesus will give us the strength that we need. Amos chapter 5, verse 5, a prophet in the Old Testament says, Seek God and live. Seek God and live. Don't seek anything else in your life. Don't seek after all of these other philosophies and mindsets and whatever. Seek God. Seek the truth, and you will have the life that God has called you into. So I want to give you, I think I'm going to end with one last story. So there, most of you will know the name Nelson Mandela. He's now obviously passed away. But one of the things we know about him is that he was a part, he lived in South Africa, and he was a part of the resistance against the apartheid, which was their government that was in place that was oppressive. He ultimately would be arrested and put in jail as a political prisoner for 27 years. 27 years! First of all, if I was in jail for 27 years, I'd probably be buff, you know, because all you can do is work out. Or skinny. <laughs> Maybe I would have read books. Maybe I would have, ha- I would have given up my will to live. Because there was no end in sight for him. They didn't say, hey, in 27 years, they're going to let you out. They basically sent him to Robben Island, and they said, for the rest of your life, that's it. You're going to live here. And so finally, he was released. And when he comes out of this prison, did he join the resistance again and say, down with you, I'm finally going to get my revenge? No. You know what he does instead? He says that the path forward must be a path of forgiveness and reconciliation, not revenge. Think about that. He would end up getting a Nobel Peace Prize. His own people, his own friends were angry with him because they wanted a revolution. But this man, after 27 years of only being in the presence of God himself and his jailers, knew that the only way forward was reconciliation and forgiveness. You know, I think think that's what our country needs today. We need reconciliation and forgiveness. But it's not just on a national stage, but even in our own lives. We need forgiveness and reconciliation because so many times it is those things that lead us back into the slavery of anger, deceit, vengeance, sadness, anxiety, depression. So much of that is always pulling us back because we can't let go. But it's not just Nelson Mandela, it's Jesus. Forgiveness and reconciliation is the only way to live a life that flourishes. There's things in your life that you have to forgive yourself for. But there's also people in your life that you need to give forgiveness to. And until we can truly do that, you will be missing out on the life that God is calling you into. Forgiveness is hard. 
and it is even painful. And some could even say that when you forgive someone, it's almost like you are absorbing the pain, and it feels like death. But the good news is the central story of our faith is that a man dies and is resurrected. So even if you feel like you are absorbing a death, know that resurrection is coming for you. And so Jesus comes to set you free, to forgive you of the sins that you've committed. He sets you free from having to live out the eternal punishment of extinction and separation from God. And he gives you freedom over the strongholds in your life. And Jesus is inviting you into freedom of letting go of the things that are stealing life away from you. And all you have to do is be filled with his presence. Let us pray. God, you are too good to us. You are so kind to us and gracious. Father, this is the message that each one of us needs to hear this morning because I know that so many of us are holding on to things that are leading us back to a life that is far away from you, a life without joy, a life without peace. For the person who is hearing these words, God, I pray, in your name that you would release them from those things that hold them in bondage. That it would not just be for their good, but that we would be able to say, we remember when I was oppressed and God rescued me from sin. We ask you now, Father, to step into our lives and help us hit the mark. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.